there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, we are going to finish up, finally, our series on death entitled, Oh Death. And so let me just take you all the way back to the beginning of the series itself. And, and here's what we basically said. Uh, you're going to die, which is not great news, uh, but the statistics are in. Uh, it's a 100% chance that physically we are all going to die. And so we've spent the duration of the series kind of talking about being prepared uh, for death. <clears throat> and then it brought us into uh, the neighborhood of talking about the second death, uh, which is hell, uh, which is a terrible place. Uh, it's a place that, to be quite frank with you, churches don't really talk about these days. Um, but I've come to the conclusion that avoiding it doesn't make it go away. Um, it is a real place. Uh, and so we, taf- we tackled over the last few weeks some really difficult teachings, some really hard stuff, uh, and last week we got to the good stuff and we talked about heaven. And how we approached it last week is uh, we talked about what is in heaven that makes heaven such a great place. And uh, I don't have time to review the, the whole series, uh, the whole sermon last week. But if you weren't here, we talked about three things that will be in heaven that will make heaven a great place. Uh, the river of life, the tree of life, and then being in, du- in the direct presence of, of the Lord. Uh, not, not separated by sin, but being able to walk with him and see him and, and talk to him. And so heaven is this great place because of what is there. Well, today we're going to change direction, direction a little bit. And here's what I want to submit to you this morning. That heaven is also a wonderful place because of what is not there. Uh, we always think that a, that a, that a place, uh, what a place has makes it a, a, be, a better place. And that's true, but on the other side of the coin, sometimes a place is great because of what is not there. So let me give you an earthly example of this. <clears throat> so we live in the Deep South, and not everybody, including myself, uh, are actually from here in Georgia. We're not from the Deep South. Many people move here from the North to the South specifically because what is not here. They move because there's no snow, there's no sleep, there's no ice, there's no high cost of living, uh, there's no gray sunless days, there's uh, not months and months of oppressively cold weather. And so no doubt a lot of people have moved here to Georgia, down into Florida because of what is not here. And so again, heaven's a great place And it's almost a moot point to try to explain what is there uh, because the Bible says it's just inexplainable, uh, the the glory and the riches of of God. So we're going to tackle it this way uh, to end this series out. We're going to talk about heaven being a wonderful place uh, because of what is not in heaven. Um, And some of you who who study the Bible, uh, particularly the book of Revelation, may think I'm going to Revelation 21.4, which I'm going to read in just a second. Um, Yes, heaven's a great place because what is not there? Sadness, tears, pain, death, suffering. Revelation 21.4 says, 
And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we know those things aren't there, and that's great. Uh, I don't want to leave this earth and go to a place where there's still suffering and crying and death and separation. And so uh, we know that's, that's great. But I'm not going to tackle those subjects this morning. Uh, I think if we begin to dig a little deeper under the surface, you, you find some other things that are not in heaven that make heaven a wonderful place. And so I have four of them I want to share with you this morning. These aren't uh, exclusive, uh, but these are, are four of the main things. So heaven's a great place because of what is not there. And the, and the first thing which might surprise you is heaven's a great place because the sun is not there. The sun, which ages, is not there. Not S-O-N, he's there, uh, but the, the sun. So um, the sun, which ages, will not be in heaven. Uh, so I encourage you to do something this week. Uh, it, today might not be the best day. It's a little overcast. But one day this week, I, I just encourage you to look at the sun for just a second. Don't look too long or you might go blind. Uh, look at it for a second. And, and that orange ball that you see in the sky will one day cease to exist. And, and I think all of us know the ramifications of earth if the sun would die out, right? We would also die out as well. Well, you begin to study the sun a little bit. This is just science 101, basic stuff. Uh, the sun is a star. And so you could actually look, uh, if it's a clear night, at all those bright stars in the sky and, and decide and, and understand that one day all of those things are going to be burnt out. They're not going to be there. But, but the sun's a star, and it's classified as a yellow dwarf star. So it's a small little star, but it's the center of, of our galaxy. It gives everything life. Now, here's what scientists tell us, something that uh, we probably are already aware of, and the Bible spoke uh, about ages ago. Scientists tell us that the sun is wearing out, right? That it's going to eventually burn out. So there's this law in science uh, called the law of entropy. Uh, and I'm not a scientist, so in layman's terms, the law of entropy states this. All things trend towards disorder. So things move from a state of order to disorder. So let me give you an earthly example. Uh, yesterday was Saturday, and a lot of people, uh, my family included, sometimes spend Saturday mornings cleaning the house, just kind of getting it cleaned up from the week. And so uh, you're scrubbing the baseboards and you're mopping and you're cleaning and you're straightening things up, right? And so uh, Saturday afternoon, your house probably looked really, really good. Well, by Wednesday, or maybe even by today in my house, it's going to be a disaster again. You just got everything into order, everything cleaned up. And before you know it, it's going to be in disorder again. All right, and we could take it a step further. You could clean your house and you can disinfect your house and then you can say, I want to keep this clean and the only way to keep it clean is to just not live here. So you could clean it, uh, lock your house up, shut your windows and live in a hotel for a year. But when you come back to your house, there's still going to be disorder there. There's going to be an inch, uh, layer of dust. There's going to be cobwebs. If it's shut up and there's any moisture, there's, it's going to contain mold. That's because things always go from order to disorder. And that's what the creation account says, right? God created everything good and perfect, and it was all in order, and now it's moving towards disorder. 
This is the law of science that governs our universe. Everything moves from order to disorder. So when God cursed everything, he cursed all of creation, including the stars. Now, we know that stars die. And when big stars die, they collapse on themselves, uh, becoming uh, a, what's called a supernova. All right? And so it's really a spectacular death. It, it is a sight to behold. Now, over time, a supernova creates what is called a black hole. And a black hole is an area of such... Y'all hear that? What is that? I think the Lord's coming back today or something. That was kind of giving me the heebie-jeebies. All right, so uh, over time, uh, a, a supernova will create a, a black hole. And, and a black hole is an area of immense gravity that nothing, including light, can escape from it. And so if you would go out tonight and if it's clear and you look at the stars... All of those stars, especially the big stars, the giant stars, there's billions and billions of them. This is going to happen to every single star in the universe. Now, the sun is a dwarf star. So scientists tell us that it won't become a black hole, but it will die out. Scientists uh, speculate that we've got between 7 and 8 billion years before the sun wears out. So we're, we're good uh, in, in this point of time. But all stars, just like human beings age, all stars have a life expectancy. They're not going to last forever, including the sun. Now what's interesting is the, the Bible spoke to this before science actually existed. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 say this, and you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens, that's the stars, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end." Take you to the Old Testament, because the Old Testament speaks on this as well. Uh, the prophet Isaiah writes, And the host of heavens shall rot away, and the skies rolled up like a scroll. If we could just stop and think about that for a second, how, how big and vast and massive our universe is. I mean, we, we've, not, we've not seen the end of it. There are billions, if not trillions and trillions of, of stars. One day, God's like a sheet of paper just going to roll it up, just like a scroll, and he's going to be done with it. Every, everything is going to be worn out and, and broken. And he continues, And their hosts, that's the stars, shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. And so you, you have the sun, which ages, that's going to die. But in heaven, we're told that we, we'll have no need of the sun, that we won't have to have a sun in heaven, because nothing in heaven ages. You won't age. I won't age. God won't age. Nothing ages. And think about it. Uh, the sun ages here on earth, and the sun also ages us, right? 
Like the more time you spend in the sun, you get those, those brown spots called sunspots or age spots. You, you get cancer. Uh, a, a lot of people like to, to go to tanning beds or they like to lay out in the sun. Like I grew up not wearing sunscreen. We actually put baby oil on for some reason to, to cook ourselves. All right. And that's good in the short term, but you've, we've all seen the person that spend, spent an, a, an inordinate amount of time in the sun trying to get nice and tan. And by like the time they're 40, their skin's like a, like a basketball. It's so rough because the sun not only ages, it ages us. Now I realize we need the sun now. It grows our plants, it warms the earth, it lights us. But one day that star will die, and so will all life on earth. But in heaven, we don't need the sun. Look at Revelation 22, 5. And night will be no more, and they will, no, they will need no light of lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light. All right, and so there's no need for an aging sun to be in heaven, for something that's going to, through the law of entropy, wear out because we're above the law of entropy in, the, in, in heaven. Um, so we're not going to need it. But look what it says. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That phrase, the money phrase, is forever and ever. In other words, God is not going to implode on himself like our son. He's never going to age. He's never, he never gets tired. He's never going to wear out. We don't have to worry about an end because there is no ending. Thus, the term forever and ever. So we won't have the sun which ages. The second thing that won't be in heaven, and you might be surprised to hear this, is there'll be no sea. And the sea separates like, think about just geographically how these massive bodies of water, these oceans and these seas, separate people. Uh, my sister, sister-in-law, Madeline, and her, and, and her husband, they, they both live in Tokyo, Japan, which is, uh, might as well be on the other side of the world because we don't get to see them because there's these massive bodies of water. Uh, in other words, I just can't load my family up and say, road trip, we're going to drive to Japan um, because we're separated by the sea. Now, we could fly there, but do you know how much a round trip ticket for seven people to Tokyo? Uh, there's, I, there's no way we can afford it. So my wife, every Monday, uh, gets on the Alexa and they kind of talk to each other, but it's not the same, right? They, they can't hug. They can't, it's just not the same. And so you have this separation of the sea. The sea divides. Now, I want you to think about it both literally, and then I want you to think about it meta metaphorically for a second. Literally, our planet is full of seas and oceans that divide us. That's how we have continents and countries. But also, metaphorically, we live in a world full of division. People are divided over everything. There is, I don't know if you know this or not, this might be a newsflash to you, but in our country, there is political division right now. Are you aware of that? Just turn on your TV and try to watch a football game and watch 9,000 commercials, right? There's political division. There's racial division, there's sexual division, there's socioeconomic division, but in heaven there is no more sea and there is no more division. We are all God's children in the same place, doing the same thing, worshiping the same God for eternity. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There's just no division. We'll all be whole again. I love the words, and I, and I long for this day. Revelation chapter 9, or chapter 7, verses 9 through, 11, through 10 says, John's writing, he says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude, so so many people there that you, you can't even count them, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there's no more division. So heaven's a great place because we don't have the sun which ages. We don't have the sea which separates. And number three, we don't have in heaven what the Bible calls a defiled creation, which groans, a defiled creation. Um, so if you're familiar with Genesis 1, this is the creation account, um, after God created everything, what did he say about it? You remember? He said it was good. Like original creation in the Garden of Eden, God kind of sat back and, you know, God's not about patting himself on the back, but this time he's like, wow, that, this is good. Everything I created is good. It's in rhythmic motion. It's in harmony. Look at Genesis 1, 30 through 31. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So creation was perfect. It was unmarred by the curse of sin. All creation, including the plants and the animals, everything was good. So let's just harken back we, to Genesis 3, the fall of man. And remember, they ate the forbidden fruit. And what did God do? God cursed the man. God cursed the woman. God cursed Satan himself. But, but one of the things that we forget is that God also cursed the ground. God cursed everything. He cursed all of creation. In other words, he just cursed everything he, everything he spent six days creating. It's all cursed. And all of creation, now hear me, this is going to sound weird, I know this, including your cat and your dog at home. All creation instinctively knows something's wrong. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Something is broken. If you go back to Genesis, what were all the beasts of the field to eat? Plants. They weren't supposed to eat each other. And now when the rabbit sticks his head out of the hole, he, he, he's sticking his head into to a defiled creation because there's wolves and hawks. And, and he's got to be very, very careful. So all creation, including the animals, knows something is wrong. Something is broken. And the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Romans, says that creation groans. They, they understand what maybe we don't even get. This world is broken. Look at Romans 8. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 20. Paul says, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, 
right? The animals didn't sin. They, wasn't, they, they weren't willful participants in this. But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself, I love this, will be set free from its bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So in Romans 8, particularly when you start reading in verse 21, Paul explains that the entire universe is held under this curse. And it eagerly longs for the day when it can join with God's children in this glorious liberation from destruction, from death, and from decay. Right now, the entire creation reflects the curse of sin. And all creation groans. Uh, that is, all created things suffer a common misery, being in a state of pain and disorder. And Paul says, listen, this groaning is so intense, and I don't know this personally, but uh, they say one of the most horrific pains you can have is giving birth to a child. And so he's equating how creation feels to, to a woman laboring and giving birth to a child. Well, when sin is removed from the children of God, all of nature will burst for, forth in its glory. The full work of redemption includes the reversal of the curse. I want you to listen to what the prophet Isaiah says, and he's painting a picture for us. This is a prophetic message of, of this new heaven and this new earth, and this is not how the animal kingdom works on our earth here, but listen to what, Paul say, or what Isaiah says, picking up in Isaiah 11, starting in verse 6. He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Now, I, I, you're, you, you might not be a shepherd, but uh, let me, if you would take a lamb and you would put in this sanctuary, and you would shut the doors, and you would put a wolf in here together, it's going to go bad for the lamb. It's always going to go bad for the lamb. But Isaiah says, listen, they're going to dwell together. They're going to be able to be in the same room, and the wolf's not going to harm the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with a young goat. Leopards eat goats, but in, in this new world, it's not going to happen. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. I love this, verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze. So they're just in the field together, and the, the bear's just eating grass, and he's not looking at the cow thinking, you know, I'd love a T-bone steak right now. Um, he's just going to be eating grass with the, with, the, with the cow. And I love this. And their young shall lie down together. So a cute little calf and a cute little bear cub just lying down together while, while their parents are, are grazing uh, in the field. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So lions are going to be vegans now. They're, they're not going to, it's not a defiled creation, so they're not going to have to eat and kill to, to eat. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. Parents, just a news flash in case you don't already know, don't let your children play with cobras. That could go very bad for them. But in this, the child can play because the cobra is not going to bite. And the wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den, down where the, where the adder lives and, and not be bitten. Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. So this is painting a picture of a restored creation. This is the way it was supposed to be. Now, let me go back to my illustration that we've talked about for a couple weeks, just in case you weren't here, uh, because I'm going to give you my opinion, 
and you may not agree with me. Here's what we've been saying. Uh, everyone that, that drives slower than you is always an idiot, right? Why don't this idiot get out of my way? And everyone that drives faster than you that is on your tail is a moron, all right? So you've got an idiot in front of you and a moron behind you simply because they're not going the speed that you would like. All right, and so what I'm about to talk about has nothing to do with salvation. So um, if you don't agree, I'll say this one last time, it doesn't make you an idiot and it certainly doesn't make me a moron. So with that said, people ask me all the time, will there be animals in heaven? My response, well, Jesus is coming back on a white horse. There were animals in Eden. Eden was heaven on, that this was supposed to be our home. And Adam had this rhythmic relationship where the animals would come to him and he would name them and feed them. And, 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 and so I definitely believe, my, if you would pin me down, my answer would be, yes, there'll be animals in heaven. I'll say it this way. There's definitely going to be dogs, maybe hamsters, and certainly not cats. All right? So... Uh, Speaking of cats, I've got a joke for you. <laughs> what do you call a fluffy male cat asleep on the sofa? Himalayan. Okay. <laughs> so in heaven, we won't have a defiled creation that groans. We'll have a new creation that praises God right alongside with us. So we won't have the sun which ages. We won't have the sea which separates. We won't have a defiled creation that groans. And then number four, number four is not necessarily about what, what is not in heaven. It's, it's about who is not in heaven. And the fourth thing that makes heaven so great is the liar which deceives will not be in heaven. So if you've been in church any amount of time, you know that Jesus didn't really get along with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the religious people of the time. And Jesus said, you know, you're, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Like you're a tombstone that's been really clean and it's a beautifully manicured grave, but underneath it's just full of dead man's bones. And he's saying like, you look really good on the outside and you say the right things, but on the inside, your heart is rotten and, and you're dying. And so in John 8, He's in this heated confrontation with the Pharisees, so much so that he calls the Pharisees children of the devil. And then he begins to give us some attributes of the devil himself. I want you to see it, uh, John 8, 44. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and you, oh, I'm sorry, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Some of your translations, if you're not using SV, are going to say that he speaks out of his native tongue. Um, and, and, and what John is telling us, or what Jesus through John is telling us, uh, and then he says, for he's a liar and the father of all lies. What they're telling us is there's no truth that ever comes out of his mouth. Everything that comes out of the, the devil's mouth is, is made to manipulate, to, to lie, and, and to deceive. And what we have going against us now is that Satan is free, right? He's not bound up yet. So he roams the earth 
spreading lies and dissension, right? So remember uh, Job, God is, God is there and Satan comes to visit God. And, and in verse 7, they have this conversation. And basically God asks, where have you been? Look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered to the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. See, he roams the earth spreading lies and propaganda everywhere he goes. I want you to think about lying for a second because, you know, we have a tendency to like classify sin sometimes. Like this is a really big sin and oh, this is just a little sin. It's just a white lie. You know, your wife asked you if this dress made her look fat and you said, no, of course not. Or, and you might have been lying or, you know, your, your husband may have asked you, does this mustache make me look cool? And you're like, no, you know, but anyway, so, but lies are so hurtful. Like, just, just think about how many people have been hurt by lies. I mean, think about our politicians, Democrat or Republican. Like, think about all these commercials that are, are the things that we're being promised. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and, and this guy, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and then nothing ever happens. Think about the news, which is filled with nothing but half-truths. Listen, if it's a half-truth, that means it's also a half-lie. Think about the amount of money corporations spend on sick leave for people that aren't really sick. You know, you still want to go to work today. Think about lies and how they affect marriages. One spouse begins to step out on, the, on another spouse and lies about who they've been with and lies about uh, what they're doing and, and every lie is like a dagger in another person's and it just absolutely demoralizes and crumbles a person. I mean, lies have destroyed churches, businesses, corporations, marriages, friendships, even our own self-esteem. When we listen to the lies of the enemy, you're not good enough. I don't even know why you're bothered going to church. I don't even know why you bother trying. You know, you are what your dad said you were or whatever. And you just listen to, to, to those lies. They're incredibly hurtful. When I was uh, in the uh, eighth grade, well, at the end of my seventh grade year, we moved, my, my dad and my stepmom, we moved, and my half-sister, from kind of the country, Nowheresville, Virginia, into a subdivision. And uh, I had never lived in a subdivision. I, I went from living like in inner city apartments uh, to Nowheresville, and now we're in this subdivision. Uh, and it was a nice subdivision, and I began to make friends. Uh, and, and there was a five of us, and we were really tight that our eighth grade year. Um, we would run around the neighborhood, chase each other, sometimes chase girls, get in BB gun fights. We were just always doing stuff, rode the bus together, spent the night. Well, we had this new kid move into the neighborhood, uh, and we allowed him into our circle of trust, and he became one of our friends. This kid was such a liar and such a deceiver and such a manipulator. And so he began to, like, erode everyone's friendship. You know what he said about you? And you know what he said about you? And, and, and we began to fuss and fight. Well, we finally wisened up, and we kind of kicked that guy out of the circle, uh, that, that kind of that liar and that deceiver, and, and we never had any more problems. We were good again. Lies really hurt people. And, and what I want you to understand is that every lie ever told is motivated from Satan. He has been a liar since the beginning. Genesis 3, there's Eve looking at that tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
And Satan slithers up to her and begins to lie to her. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of that? That's not true. You can eat of it. You'll be just fine. In fact, God doesn't want you to eat of it because if you eat of it, you'll know what he knows. God's trying to hold you down. So you should go ahead and eat. And we know she did. And the rest is history. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. But what makes heaven so great is that the father of all lies won't be there. I want to read you a scripture that, that I really love. It makes me think of my grandparents to, to some extent. It's Revelation 21, 25 through 27. And, and verse 25 says, and this is talking about heaven, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So that's another great thing about heaven. Like tonight, since we have daylight savings, it's going to get dark at 5.30. But in heaven, you don't have to worry about it because it never gets dark. All right? Let me read that again. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. So here's, here's what it's saying. During the day, the gates are, of heaven are always open. And we don't have to shut them ever because there's no night, which means what? The gates are always open. There's no need to guard the gates anymore. All right, so let me, let, let's finish. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. And I would say, and nobody unclean will enter it, including the devil. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, the gates will never be shut. And this reminds me of my grandparents' Um, they lived on a little farm uh, with a few little apple orchards and some cows. Uh, and this was, a, I know this was a different time, but uh, my grandparents never locked their doors, ever. I can't, I don't even know if they had locks, right? Sometimes they just had a screen door. Uh, and so they would go to bed at night and they would just never lock their doors. And, and they never had a problem. As long as they lived, they never had a problem. Heaven is a place where there is no need to guard the city because Satan won't be there and can't do any harm. And so heaven is this wonderful place. It's wonderful because what is not there, no aging like the sun, no separation or division by the sea, no groaning by defiled creation, and no deception by the devil. And so this series has been called, O Death. And like I said, we begin talking about the fact that we're all going to die. And throughout the duration of this series, we spent a lot of time saying, this isn't how it's supposed to be. That's why God sent Jesus to redeem us. And we've been talking about, you've got to make the decision whether we're going to follow God on this side of life. And I know life can be hard sometimes. Like sin has fractured all creation, including us. But the hope that we have is one day we'll be made new and whole again. Uh, Chris Spielman was a two-time All-American linebacker at Ohio State University. Uh, and then he got, I think he got drafted by the Detroit Lions, poor guy. And, uh, but he had a pretty good career there. During his time in Detroit, he went to three Pro Bowls, and I think he finished up his career uh, with the Buffalo Bills. But 
Spielman was this professional football player, and he knew what it meant for the human body to function at its highest ability, which may have made it all the more difficult as he watched his wife Stephanie battle breast cancer for 12 years. And as the cancer metastasized throughout her lungs and into her spine and in her spinal fluid, it became very clear that the end was approaching. And so Chris was this hardened football player, this trained professional athlete, and he knew how to discipline himself to achieve greatness. But now he had to sit his four children down and tell them that their mother wouldn't be with them much longer. He said when the time had come to let them know that the end was near, he said, I put my arms around them and I said, girls, mommy isn't going to get any better. And as you can imagine, they started crying. He said they weren't inconsolable, but the news profoundly affected them. And he said, I think in their hearts, they knew this day was coming. But then he said, but there's one way she can get better. When she gets to heaven, she's going to get a whole new body. She's going to do, get to do things that she used to love to do that she wasn't able to do for years because of the cancer that riddled her body. You know your mom loves to run. You know she loved to dance. You know she loved to play. And she'll get to do the things she loves to do. And she won't ever have to worry about being sick again. And that's something that we should all be very, very happy about. And then he says his oldest daughter, Audrey, asked, is her hair going to grow back? <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, it's going to be more beautiful and more glorious than you've ever imagined. And she was okay with saying goodbye. You know, isn't that what heaven's all about? Where we'll be given these new bodies, where the consequences of our injuries or aging or disease will no longer have their way, but rather where we under God's resurrection power, we'll be given a new life, new bodies, and we, we will bask in the glory of God forever. As I said, the statistics are in 100% death rate for everyone in this room. But Jesus came to give us life and give it abundantly. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.